I think the biggest story in sports is just the, the Chiefs doing what they do. Six straight conference championships. Every year that Patrick Mahomes has been a starter, he has made the conference championship. They made history last night, becoming the first team in NFL history to win at least two playoff games for five straight seasons. That stat's ridiculous. Five years in a row. Not just make the second round. Because, you know, they usually have a first round bye. No, no, no. They, they have won two straight. They've, they've won two games at least at the playoffs, apparently. The last 15 AFC championships, Bob, there are three quarterbacks that are uh, that have been in every conference championship in the AFC for at least 15 years. Do you know who the three quarterbacks are? Ooh. A little quiz show to start the uh, to start the day. So in the last fifteen years, yep, last fifteen AFC championships have featured three quarterbacks. God, that's a tough one. Obviously, well, obviously Mahomes. Mahomes. Um, that was an easy one. There, there, I, this, this is going to be one that you're going to sh- tell me, and I'm going to be like, "Yeah, oh, man, I had you know, it's like right in front of me. I can't, I can't play some." Well, Tom Brady. Oh yeah, Tom Brady, Brady and Patrick Mahomes and Mark Sanchez. Mark, Mark Sanchez, as the Jets made those back-to-back AFC championships. So, 15 straight AFC championship games. It's like the dragon meme. You get you got the two tough dragons and the goofy one. Mahomes, Brady, two goats. And then, yeah, Mark Sanchez with his tongue out. You know what I loved? I saw somebody uh, post on X that there's this drew a little bit of an NBA corollary to him where, you know, Allen is uh, Patrick Ewing and Mahomes is Michael Jordan. Like, yeah, yeah. Just can't, you, just can't get past them. You could do a modern one too of like James Harden and Steph Curry because they could never yeah. get past. Uh, they could never get past the Warriors with the Rockets. Record when trailing by seven points or more in playoffs the last five seasons. The rest of the NFL, they did it sixty-four times. They won eleven games. That's good for seventeen percent. 11 and 53 if your name is not Patrick Mahomes when trailing by seven points or more in the playoffs. Patrick Mahomes, 8 and 1, 89% of the time. When he falls down by seven points or more in the playoffs, he's got you right where he wants you. And I know from firsthand experience of being in Arrowhead Stadium when the Titans went up 10 points in Kansas City and, and of course, lost that game going away. So all of these stats. There's another one. Andy Reid now 11 conference championships, second most in NFL history. By the way, he has now made more with the Chiefs than he did with the Eagles, which is kind of crazy to me. All these stats coming out of this game just kind of sums up the thought that Kansas City did what Kansas City does, and that's win playoff games. And on the other hand, you had the Bills, who are known for choking playoff games. So, of course, they choked a playoff game away. Wide right. Wide right. <laughs> what was that, Super Bowl twenty five? I believe, that they uh, yeah. they missed wide right. I believe it was from the same exact yards, too. 44 yards really? away, I believe, is what I saw. Yeah. that. Uh, I figured the way that game was playing out last night, I was like, you know, they're, they're, they're going to knock this in. They're going to go to overtime. It's just going to become even more of a classic. And uh, I'll, I'll be honest. The moment I saw them lining up, I was like, you know what? This is due for a Bills miss. Yeah. This is due for a Bills miss. After Josh Allen, like, you you can't miss two throws in the end zone like he did, especially, like, whenever you 
You have Tony Romo. Ah, Jim! I don't know why he didn't take the underneath throw here and just keep moving the chains. Ah, Jim! I don't know why he's throwing in the end zone because there's still a minute 40 left, so, like, maybe you want to run more time off anyways because everyone knows if you score that much with that much time left, the Chiefs are going to score. Ah, Jim! He should have taken the check down. Patrick Mahomes against the Bills in the postseason. You know, if Bills Mafia is really about that life, if they're really a mafia... <laughs> And they need to make Patrick Mahomes go sleep with the fishes because he's played them three times in the playoffs. He has nine touchdowns, no interceptions, 306 yards per game, and 126.6 passer rating, and a perfect 3-0 record. They need to put a hit out on him if they're really a mafia. Somebody needs to take him out. Yeah, and Kelsey showed up. That's the first we've seen productivity from Travis Kelsey in about a month at least. I mean, it was uh, – Played a played a great game. It, it was Kansas City looked different to me than they had the again for the past month. They they you know part of it is we, Sam and I were talking about they're healthier than Buffalo too. I mean you know that 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 didn't hurt, but they just they just looked like they'd been there before, man. They 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 kind of responded to every body blow and and just kept kept delivering it here at the end. Well, Mahomes of course is this generation's Brady. He has the most playoff wins by anybody under the age of 30 in NFL history. He's only 28. But Travis Kelsey, you know, all of a sudden looks like Gronk. And like late career Gronk, where you know, like, hey, we're going to kind of keep you in the garage, big fella. We're not going to get you out and on the road and get miles on you. Yes. But can you give us something in the playoffs? And Kelsey said, yep, that's fine. Five catches, 75 yards, two touchdowns. Blowing kisses, throwing hearts up at Taylor Swift. The NFL is one game away from getting Taylor Swift shots at the Super Bowl. They got to be so excited. Kelsey riding off into the sunset with a 50-yard line proposal after the game. They're close. The script riders, they're, they're warming up. They are heating up. But, yeah, Travis Kelsey made that Chiefs offense look better than it had all year. You said that's the best they looked in a month. Bob, I'd say that's the best they looked since they beat the hell out of Chicago, like week three or four, whenever that was. They had been struggling. The offense couldn't move the ball, and then yesterday they barely faced any third downs. The only time they were facing third downs is when they were kneeling the ball out, it seemed like. You know, they they just dominated that game. I think they only punted once, I think. Yeah, that, that, that seems like it would check out. And on the other hand, you had Buffalo. You, you had Josh Allen, 39 attempts, 186 yards. Everything he was throwing was basically behind the line or was deep down the field and couldn't be caught. His receivers letting him down. Ironically enough, since we had talked about the Chiefs receivers being the losers, it was Buffalo receivers who couldn't do anything. Stephon Diggs does all that crying all throughout the regular season, wants to be thought of as an elite guy, comes out and goes three catches for 21 yards. Drops a big long, t- drops a big long uh, bomb down the field. I mean, if it's not Josh Allen running the ball last night, take that out of the equation, and this this game wasn't wouldn't have been close, honestly. Yeah, Josh Allen was. I mean, was trying to do everything he could. Now, you know, Josh Allen. You know, you could talk about missing those throws, and I do think he he made mistakes going for the home run ball. He didn't turn the ball over though, and that's what you worry about with Josh Allen. He didn't turn the ball over, but he still couldn't. You know, maybe take what the defense gave him on those underneath throws. Coming out of the two-minute warning and say he's throwing balls in the end zone trying to be a hero. But he wasn't the problem. I mean, 270 yards, three touchdowns. But yet, Sam, when you come to it, 
You get to this stat here. Of all the stats I've given you, maybe this one to me is the most damning. When I'm looking at Josh Allen in the playoffs, he beat a Phillip Rivers on his last ACL with that Colts team that really, quite frankly, the Colts should have won that game in Buffalo in 2020. He beat Phillip Rivers. Lamar Jackson got knocked out with a concussion in the third quarter. They they won that game with a pick six. He beat Mac Jones. He beat Skylar Thompson. He beat Mason Rudolph. So, like, on one hand, he he does have five playoff wins. On the other hand, hasn't really beaten anybody. And every time he goes up against the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes, he finds a way to come up short. The gods were trying to help the Bills last night, it seems like. The Chiefs miss an open fumble. You know, I believe it was Allen that put the ball on the floor. Maybe it was somebody different, but I thought it was Allen. And the Chiefs almost have a scoop scoop and score. Instead, it bounces around. Yeah. The Bills fall on it. They go for a fourth down. They get it. Sean McDermott with one of the worst fake punt calls, trying to give DeMar Hamlin his moments. Oh, boy, I felt bad for DeMar Hamlin whenever he got stopped on that fourth down fake punt. But the defense holds, and Miko Hardman fumbles, and it goes out of the end zone, and the Bills survived. You're like, okay, maybe this is just set up for them to have a finally break through. The, the football gods are trying to help. Then the gods of win. Wide right. And then Pacheco runs the ball down their throat and ends the game. How good's Pacheco, by the way? He runs a very funny way. He, he runs like a bad kid. He runs like someone said like a big dog is chasing him. Yeah. He, he, he's got a weird running style. I don't know which one's the best descriptor, but he runs hard. And, yeah, you know, Andy Reid would have maybe gotten a lot of criticism had they lost that game because you had Pacheco running six yards a carry, seven yards a carry. And on the goal line, it's like, hey, let's give the ball to Miko Hardman. Bad idea as he fumbled. How do you guys feel about the touchback rule? Fumble out of bounds, touchback. A lot of people always talk about it's the worst rule in sports. Uh, I saw an NFL writer saying that he believes it gets changed this weekend because there's enough support to change it. I love the rule. It sucks when it goes against you. But, like, you know, the way that Miko Hartman put the ball on the floor, on the ground, a yard away from the end zone, he deserved to lose the ball. They deserved to have it go back to the 20 and be Buffalo's ball. Take care of the ball. Next to the goal line. That's my favorite rule in football, honestly. Okay. I love it. I yeah. love it. I love when it happens. I think it's just like a strange little wrinkle to the game that kind of screws everything up and like screws the flow up of the game. And I think it's like a positive thing, honestly. Like I think if you're that close to the end zone, yeah. I mean, if you're fumbling it out of the back of the end zone, I think you gotta be punished for something. You can't just get it back on the one yard line. It's the ultimate reverse reverse draw four in Uno. Yeah, like, you, yeah. you think you got it, you think you got it, boom. Oh no, I'm drawing four. Yep. You want to get rid of the draw four, Bob? I don't like it. I, I do want to get rid of it. I uh, believe in a, in a league that rewards so much for offense. Um, it's just such a – and maybe that's why people like it, obviously. It's such an about face from all of that. Um, because, again, if Hardman fumbles that ball out of bounds at the one, they'd maintain possession. So, you know, it's just I, – I, I just – I don't understand the purpose of it other than, you know, what, you know, the obvious, you know, defense benefits from it. I just think it, the way the league's structured, I, I've never understood why that, that rule existed. I'm, I'm not a fan of it. I think we would all hate it way more if we had guys just recklessly diving, trying to throw the ball across the end zone, trying to get it to the pylon, trying to get it. The, the fact that, like, you can just poke the ball to the tip of the end zone, barely touch the line, it's a touchdown – 
Or if you know you try to jump over the pile like Drew Brees used to do and the ball gets smacked out of your hands, the fact that that's not a fumble, I do think you have to have some type of, of real punishment for guys not taking care of the ball. I'll do you one better. I think every fumble out of bounds. If we're going to start changing rules, every fumble out of bounds should be a defensive touchback. Take care of the football. If we're going to start changing rules, hold on to the ball. Because I mean, if you're going to say it doesn't make sense, okay, I'll go the other way then. Every fumble out of bounds that the defense doesn't have a chance to recover, you lose the ball. That's what happens in basketball. You drop a ball out of bounds, you lose the ball. It's an interesting thought. You hit a ball out of bounds in volleyball or in tennis, you're out of bounds. And NFL's like, ah, redo. It's all right. I would go the other way. Yeah, just uh, let's get rid of all fumbling out of bounds. Take care of the football. But every, like, you know, the Bills had some things go their way, and they still couldn't cash in. They still couldn't do it. They couldn't beat their boogeyman. And you got it at home. And you got it at home, yeah. And, and, <laughs> you know? and, and in your mind, you're like, hey, we can't beat them in Kansas City, but just give us a chance in Buffalo. Bills Mafia will jump through tables that are on fire. We're so tough. They they even recruited Kelsey's brother to be part of Bills Mafia, yeah. right? I mean... I got to say, it took one game for me to be sick of Jason Kelsey. Really? Yeah, it took one game. I mean, like, being shirtless in the press box or in the luxury suite, like, the heat's on, bro. Like, who are you trying to improve? Like, you're in there in a, a, a nice, crispy 70-degree box. Like, being shirtless isn't cool. Like, you're not being tough. You're not on the elements. I'd rather watch Jason Kelsey sling beers shirtless than have to watch a Jay, uh, Taylor Swift cut back every time. Can you time. get out of the way? <laughs> Taylor, Taylor's in front of you. I wonder if Taylor looked at that and said, ah, I don't know if I want to join this family. This guy's was, a little, this guy might be a little problematic down the road. Who post knows? game, he was like holding little girls up in yeah. the stands and no, like bringing their bringing their poster <laughs> up and being like, Taylor, look at this poster we, that yeah, this girl did. Another bit of TV yeah. watching. We watched. Uh, have you seen the the Kelsey documentary about? Jason I have Kelsey? no. I haven't watched it. Um, I, don't, I don't have Kelsey fever like everyone else. I'm sorry, Jason. He does seem like a good guy. He's not a problem. It makes you feel good about Ta- Kelsey. Taylor's probably like this would be a great brother-in-law, great uncle. You know, if starts taking kids down the line. Who yeah, knows? The takeaway I had in that was that he really the, because the whole concept is about from last season should he retire or not he should have retired because the way he went out you know you can't predict the future obviously but you know eagles just absolutely you know fell apart the last six weeks of the season and get blown out in the playoffs and that's the way he's going to end it and it's like it was kind of that made me kind of sad actually because you know he was so integral to that team he should have left after the super bowl loss yeah, one of the last moments uh, you'll think about Jason Kelsey's playing career is when his brother was trolling him on their podcast about how yeah. the excuse train was rolling and Jason Kelsey's like on the verge of tears and has to like stop it. And it's like, we'll come back the next day because, I mean, that team did fall apart. And, you know, I don't know if it was a lack of leadership. I don't know what the excuse was or what the reasons were. But, yeah, they, that was a a bad ending. But at the same, at the same time, no one's going to think of a great – Having that be their last moment, like no one, no one's gonna remember that that Tom Brady got his ass kicked by the Cowboys, you know, right. in their last game. Now, obviously, Tom Brady on a different level than Jason Kelsey, but you'll still think of that Super Bowl of the year before. You'll still think of that. Buffalo though now finds themselves in a weird, weird position. They they are now forty three million dollars over the cap. They have already been kind of kicking the can down the road with paying players and pushing it back. Now that bill is about to come due. No pun intended. You might have seen the last of that core of that team. Like, you know, if I was betting right now, I'd say Stephon Diggs not coming back. They'll find a way to get off of him. I don't even know if, if McDermott keeps his job. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I we talked about this 
first week of if he was somehow going to lose in the first round against Pittsburgh, that his job would be in jeopardy. I still think that holds true after last night. Yeah. Yeah, the way, I mean, the way they lost, you could say, hey, we lost a close game. But also, like, hey, man, that, that fake punt should have should have got you blown out. That, that fake punt should have got you blown out. The the all or nothing that, that Josh Allen still does, I, I think ultimately still falls on McDermott. Just not being able to get over the get over the hump, like it's like Mike McCarthy. Like you know, we've seen enough of of Dak and Mike McCarthy. They're not going to win a championship. I kind of feel that same way about Josh Allen and and, and McDermott. You're not going to beat Kansas City. You're not going to do it. You're not going to break through. And if there's one team that's like looked at at, at someone kicking ass for a long time, it's like, hey, give us that. It would be the Bills looking at Bill Belichick be like, hey, we, we had to go against this guy for 20 years. We know what he's about. This guy can maybe get us over the hump. Maybe. I don't know. We'll see what happens with McDermott. Because so far, the two coaches we thought might get fired and McCarthy and, and I'm blanking on his name in Philadelphia. Sirianni. Sirianni, Sirianni yeah. I, was, I was keep wanting to say Skaransky, but I was like, that's the Titans offensive <laughs> lineman. Yeah, Sirianni and McCarthy kept their job. We'll see if McDermott breaks through and actually gets fired. Anything else from the weekend? Because I do think the Chiefs and Bills stole the show. The other game would be, you know, the, the 49ers. They were on the cusp of getting knocked out, but Green Bay kind of, uh, I don't want to say out-choked them, but when you miss that kick, that <laughs> kicker miss. Like, yeah, kind of out there, yeah. Yeah. And then before the game, you find out LaFleur said, when, when my kicker goes out there, I just kind of pray. That, that's, not a very good, that's not a very good testament to how you feel about your kicker. That doesn't ex- exude a lot of confidence. And then, of course, it plays out where he goes out there and misses a kick that could have could have put them up seven. Instead, they miss. And at that point, you're like, yep, here comes San Francisco right down the field. And sure enough, San Francisco right down the field to take the lead. And ultimately, Jordan Love. Jordan Love paying homage to Brett Favre. That's the only explanation that I have on that interception he threw to lose the game on first down with two timeouts left, throwing it back across the middle of the field. He's lucky that that was a Saturday night game. Because if that was the final game of Sunday, we'd have a completely different conversation about Jordan Love on his YOLO throw. <laughs> I'll tell you what, though. If you're a Packers fan, I, and I know some Packers fans who were actually very pragmatic about this loss, they were like, man, we were just excited to be in the playoffs and I'm very, you know, very excited for the future. I think as a Packer fan, you got to be excited about this team so young um, and so talented. Now we've seen it, and yeah, love that was that was a horrible way for him to go out in that game. But his evolution overall in the past six, seven weeks has been pretty impressive. Um, and who who knew it'd be it would be easier to replace the quarterback at Green Bay than it was the kicker? You know, I mean, that's uh, that's pretty tough. Mason Crosby was up and down his last couple years. So I will say, like, for as many quarterbacks as they had, the, the last couple years of kickers have at least made up a little bit on, on the stress meter. But you're right. You know, we talked about the, the Packers being the youngest team to make the playoffs in a non-strike-shortened season since, I believe, 82. On the other hand, though, like, you got to take advantage when you have chances yep. in the NFL. Like, you, you can't take it for granted, like, hey, we'll be back. Jordan Love got hot. Those receivers got hot. But, like, that interception he threw at the end of the playoffs could be something that kind of derails his confidence. Like, you could look back on that and say, hey, that was our chance to break through. And instead, he threw a back-breaking interception. 
I do think the Packers still look at the season as a win. So like the vibe should still be good around the you know the franchise and all that, you know, in, in the offseason. But still, like you, you let San Francisco off the hook. Green Bay should have won that game. Yeah. Jumping over to San Francisco, how about uh, the Tennessee guy, Jawan Jennings? Yeah. Yeah, Jawan Jennings. Big catches, man. That guy is something else. Jawan Jennings now going up against a couple of Tennessee guys for Detroit. You know, Detroit got a couple of balls on there, so at least uh, one of uh, one of a, belo- a beloved ball will be in the Super Bowl. You know, Cam Sutton hasn't been playing very good for Detroit, but him and Reese Maben got a chance to make the Super Bowl. Jawan Jennings got a chance to get to the Super Bowl. That should be a fun NFC. Any thoughts on Lions Bucks? I mean, it, it kind of. I don't want to say played out the way we thought it would, but that Lions offense got hot and Tampa Bay just just fell a little bit short. Yeah, I actually, I thought the game was a little closer than I had anticipated. I mean, hats off to Mayfield. I mean, he threw that pick at the end, but it was tough. But uh, we talked about Baker too back last time we were in studio. I mean, he. Uh, He's gotten over the hump after a pretty rocky couple years, and um, I was happy for him. Although, how crazy was it that his uh, he throws that pick to Gardner Johnson, who had talked trash before? <laughs> yeah. I mean, good. flips the ball back to him. Yeah, yeah. God, it was crazy. But. Which, which Gardner Johnson? I mean, that was a big late season addition for them. Him getting him off IR. Their their secondary had been trash, quite frankly. Him getting back made them less trash. The defense hasn't been as much of a turnstile as it had been the last, you know, six weeks or so of the regular season. So it was kind of fitting that he gets the interception that ends the game. Did you have any problem with Tampa Bay going for two down 14? I I, I see a lot of people still mad about that. How do you feel as, as it's more of a new age, uh, yeah, I was gonna say, young I'm, approach to I'm, it? I'm probably old school on that. I, I didn't understand it. I mean, I get, you know. Clearly, they still had a chance to tie the game if they didn't get the two, which they didn't. Um, but I, I don't, I don't understand it. The easiest way I could try to explain it is that with the extra point moving back, it, it makes an extra point like ninety eight percent likely, ninety seven percent likely versus a slam dunk. And if you can get a, a two point conversion, I think fifty two percent of the times, getting two cracks at it helps the math. So if you get it on the first time, then you're kicking for the win. And then if you know if you need the one to tie. Theoretically, if you've had two chances at the two-point conversion, you shouldn't make it more than you miss it. That's how the math kind of works out. So you you try it first instead of uh, saving it for the end. So if you do want to go for the win, instead of rolling the dice once, you you get two cracks at it, two swings at it. It makes it a a, a better mathematical chance. Yeah, the the only other thing I would say to that was that I wouldn't have expected that coming in this game. Certainly Detroit, I would expect them to do something like that. Tampa Bay, I wouldn't. Todd Bowles, defensive-minded coach, kind of more old school, was a little bit of a surprise to me. Yeah, yeah. On the other hand, had they gotten that two-point conversion, had Baker thrown a better ball and had Mike Evans maybe fought for the ball a little bit more and they get it, think about how different that would have felt in Detroit, though. Up six with Baker with the ball, the chance to go down and win after after Detroit looks like they were about to run away with it, getting up 14 and getting ready to celebrate. Yeah, yeah. you talked about Evans. Dude, I I forgot, you know, it, and it, he he came came up short on the two pointer, but man, he made that one catch where he was sliding catch, down. Yeah. I mean, he's you so he, he's he, so hit or miss. Yeah, so talented, but you're right; it's very inconsistent. 
First week of the playoffs, he was a non-factor. I believe I said on Friday we were talking about. I was like, I expect Evans to go off and maybe have 100 yards and a touchdown, and he was even better than that. But couldn't make the uh, the big two-point conversion. No thoughts on Baltimore Texans. Uh, Texans good season. You ran into a better team, but I'm excited for the final four. We'll talk NFL playoffs throughout the week. We'll dive into some Tennessee basketball after the break because Tennessee basketball deserves to be talked about after the way they beat down Alabama. Stick with us. It is the morning show here on Fan Run Radio. Ever been the coach who realized the team's gear just wasn't up to par? Well, if I'm being honest, that was me. Just a downright irresponsible and plain bad coach. Then, SM Athletics changed the game. I want you to picture this. On Saturday, Tennessee absolutely dominated a top 10 Alabama team. Per the metrics, they get credit for a top 10 win. I know it didn't have a, a number next to it on the little score bug, but Alabama was thought of as a top 10 team in college basketball circles, and Tennessee gets credit for a top 10 domination. Bob, you were in the building at the Thompson Bowling Arena at Food City Center. Walk us through the game, your thoughts, the energy inside of the of, of the arena. How was your Saturday watching Rick Barnes and the boys? It was great. Um, the 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 energy was really good. I didn't know what to expect just because of the weather, but I actually think, you know, they talked about the game being sold out. I was wondering, okay, really how many seats will be filled? But it was pretty full. I think a lot of people were like me. They just wanted to get out. And, uh, you know, middle of the afternoon, it seemed safe enough to do it. Um, there was a ton of energy, um, and, and I thought it, it, you know, stating the obvious, but it was utter domination. I, 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 it's hard to find much that was wrong with that win. Um, they had the, the backing of the crowd. Uh, Alabama, we've talked about this before, you know, and Will Warren corroborated it with us last week that, you know, the whole situation with Alabama is live and die by the three. It's either three-pointers or short-range shots, nothing in between. Um, they were four of 21 from beyond the arc, and and actually those numbers are down in terms of attempts um, versus some of their previous SEC games. They've, they've averaged closer to about 30 three-point attempts in the SEC games, and I think that's a testimony. Tennessee just got after them with perimeter defense. It was, uh, it was, it was impressive. Yeah, at, at halftime, they ran up that stat that Alabama averages 29.2 three-point attempts, I believe, per game, and at halftime, they had five. Yeah. So in the second half, they were able to get 16 shots up, you know, kind of in garbage time and to kind of keep just chucking, but at halftime, they had five. You know, well below their average. Sam, did a lot of your friends make the game? Uh, I know you said you didn't get to because of weather, but I, did, I was impressed with the energy. Uh, did you have a lot of student friends there kind of carrying the fight? Yeah. All, all my buddies that, that live on campus pretty much went to the game, and, you know, I think a lot of people were coming back in. It's the first week of classes and everything, so I think everyone was excited to get on campus and go see a game. It seemed like it was a really great atmosphere, even with the students. Sledding across, ice skating across to uh, yes. get inside the to get yeah. inside the venue, but it, it came across good on TV. And you know, I was down in Atlanta watching it, so I didn't go to the game. But it was one of Tennessee's best performances under Rick Barnes, and you know, just of the season of the last couple years. When you consider the opponents, we had talked about how he felt like Alabama basketball. 
these days is just as hateable as Kentucky basketball and how you know a lot you really want to win that game against Nate Oates and you view them as a threat to win the conference and you just kind of hate that coach. Tennessee treated it like a rivalry game. Alabama couldn't answer the bell though. Yeah, we we've talked about uh, what douchey Nate Oates. Um, even he heaped praise on Tennessee in the post game. Said they were tough and physical. They they simply were not ready for that. As dominating a performance as he's seen one of his against one of his teams, um, he, he he had a lot of superlatives about Tennessee, and he should. Um, you know, not only did they Tennessee kind of keep them contained on the three pointers, they also forced twenty two turnovers. And the way you know Alabama's pace, they probably average. I'm guessing about half that. They probably average 11, 12 turnovers per game, but double that is pretty impressive in terms of Tennessee in their defense and. Um, I, I just think that it was a top-to-bottom domination. I, and personnel-wise, uh, you know, it's crazy to say Connect was um, had a bit of a letdown game when you score 25, but he, he was still effective. It was what, what impressed me more, again, is Adu keeps coming back. And, you know, he had a little bit of foul trouble. He only played 25 minutes, still had 19 points, had four blocks. Um, I, I think that... I think his development, and I know there's some people that keep talking about, yeah, but when he goes against the the other, you know the elite bigs, he can't handle it. It's like he's not he's not going to face those every single game, you know. And and I I would counter that we got to believe he's he's growing towards being better in those types of matchups too over time. Um, and then and then Jordan Ganey and Vescovy came back and hit shots, and that was nice to see. It was uh, it was just a great performance all the way around. Yeah, credit to Nate Oates for not being the guy that gets knocked out cold and gets up and says, ah, he didn't punch me that hard. It didn't hurt yeah. that much. Like, you you got no choice but to tip your hat and and praise the team that beats you by 20 points and kind of dominates you. So credit to him for at least not trying to act like it didn't hurt that bad. The criticism for Jonas and, you know, I made the mistake of, of reading through. The, the station had tweeted, you know, what what chances do you give this I team making the Final Four? Yeah. and. The replies are just so negative. I'm like, what what, what team are you watching? And Barnes is not going to win in March, and they can't handle a big man. Jonas is still soft. I'm like, okay, even if you want to tell me Jonas Adu isn't a top three or four center in the country, that's fine. There's still some value in being the fifth or sixth best center in the country, and I do think that's the level he's playing at right now. And, like, I do think, yeah, okay, Tolu Smith played pretty well at home against Tennessee's front line, but there's still a really good chance Jonas Adu is your first team Big man at the end of the year, or that he is at least a first team All SEC player. I know they, you know, usually put well. I think eight players on the first team. There's a chance he's one of the eight. So like, is he Hunter Dickinson? Is he Zach Eady? No, that's fine. But he's still really, really good and unlocks this Tennessee offense. And you know, he and Connect combined for 44 points. It's funny you say Connect seemed off because. It did seem like he was off, and he still had 17 first-half points. And <laughs> yeah. I do think he gets to 30 if the game is a little bit more in doubt. Yeah. Now, I will say Barnes. Barnes is, I guess, buying into the net rating, the net rankings, I should say, because it does seem like he plays his starters down to the last minute, wanting as big of a margin of victory as possible because it does play into your seeding this year. You know, in the past it was just did you win by 10 points or more. They call that game control. Now it's like every point matters. So, like, in these blowouts, he's still playing these guys out here because he had the starters out there until the last minute. You know, he was sending a statement to Alabama and trying to get as many points as possible. 
Sam, what was your big takeaway from the game? Was it just Jonas and Connect? Was it Vescovy hitting some shots? Gainey? Or is it more like, hey, you know, we, we maybe saw we, – we, Bob, we had talked about the the minutes changing between, uh, you know, Gainey and DeLeon. Of course, that's not the case when, when Gainey comes out and hits shots. Now maybe something to keep an eye on is the minutes kind of swapping between Josiah and Meshack because Josiah, 21 minutes, yeah. Meshack, 28. Sam, what stood out to you? Yeah, that's that's exactly what stood out to me. I think it's those – those role players kind of on this team that are starting to emerge and, and feel a lot more comfortable, I think, offensively. And I, I think that's just starting to, to make this Tennessee team really dangerous and well-rounded. Uh, you know, it's obviously, deep, man. Yeah, it's, it's deep. deep and well-rounded. It can do it. It can beat you on the perimeter. It can beat you in the mid-range. It can beat you in the post. Mm-hmm. And with defense. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it was awesome to see Jordan Ganey get a bounce-back game. I think that's something that you haven't seen uh, in a while from him. And that's a guy that can be a, a dangerous shooter off the bench, like you just said. Uh, I, I thought Santi gave you some big, some big shots and some big stretches, and then yeah, I mean I think you mentioned Meshack right there, but 28 minutes, I think he's starting to feel a whole lot more comfortable just offensively. Obviously, one of the best on-ball defenders in the country, probably the best in the SEC, maybe. So, you know, I, I think it's a lot of these role players really kind of carving out their little, you know, their little spot on this team in terms of offensive production and keeping that defensive production. I think that's turning this Tennessee team into that true top five team that they actually are. Yeah, I the, the one thing, it, there were two observations I would make that if there's anything, and I had to dig to find some cause for concern, Awaka played like six minutes because, five, yeah. yeah, he cannot, this happens from time to time, he can't stay out of foul trouble. Mm-hmm. And part of it's his game, you know, he's so physical and so aggressive, but got to have more than that on a consistent basis have to particularly in a game really Tennessee was fortunate if you think about the fact that Adu again only played 25 minutes that's a game you need at least 10 from Awaka and you didn't get it so uh thankfully it didn't matter but and then Josiah um and one then, point uh, 0 for three from the uh, over three from the floor yeah one point. yeah and then and it's the craziness of those plus minuses you look at those and it, it was it was it was like a plus 20 and he doesn't he I, I guess he wasn't a liability but i would argue he is a liability because we need more from him than if if he's going to be on the floor um there was talk that he was under the weather he was sick hadn't practiced since the florida game um and that's that's fine, but you, you bring up a really interesting point, John, that the way Meshack's playing, the way he feeds the floor with his energy and intensity, and even Oates specifically pointed him out that he is just impossible to generate offense against. I mean, that's 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 something to watch. Jamal Meshack hates Alabama. He hates stars from Alabama, apparently, because he had Brandon Miller in hell last year. Yeah. And he had Mark Sears in hell on on Saturday. Like Sears ends up, you know, with a decent game, twenty two points. If you just look at the stat, you know, the stat line, but seven turnovers. And he worked his ass off to get twenty two. And he way. got a lot of it, you know, yeah. towards the end after yeah. the game was decided. Like yeah. the first half when Tennessee, you know, kind of established how that game was going, Meshack was was dominating the perimeter. And quite frankly, at this point, who do you have more confidence in offensively? Meshack or Josiah? And you yeah. maybe even still say maybe slightly Josiah. Maybe. Maybe you say it's even. Maybe you say it's Meshack. But to me, it's at least a debate. It's close. 
especially when you consider the the other stuff, the, the rebounding and, and the on-ball defense. Josiah plays good team defense. Josiah does rebound and pass, but he's not he's not that dog on the perimeter that can hound their best their best ball handler, and Jemai Meshack is. Sears had seven free throws, so he really only had like 15 points. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, like, again, I would like to see the breakdown of first half versus second half because – I thought that he was in hell, and Meshack, you know, he's a big part of the reason why they had 22 turnovers. I think he had nine at half, but again, what I noticed, what I kept watching was he was absolutely getting worked over. I mean, those were the hardest uh, 22 points he's he's gotten, or 15 if you take away the free throws. That's the hardest he's probably had to work all season for that amount of points. Um, yeah, that, and this Grant Nelson kid that they were – Everybody was talking up. I was, too. Um, I mean, he was totally a non-factor. Fouled out early. Um, you know, people were putting him in the framework of, yeah, you guys have Dalton Connect. Well, Alabama's got Grant Nelson. It, it's like no contest, man. That That's not even something to be discussing. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what kind of whistle Tennessee gets when they go to Alabama. You know, yeah. maybe – Maybe some of the stuff Jonas was getting away with, you know, around the rim gets called fouls on the road. Maybe Grant Nelson doesn't get those called against him. And, you know, that's college basketball officiating. I don't think officiating had anything to do with the ass kicking that came, but I'm saying it could even the playing field when Tennessee has to make that trip. As we sit here through, you know, January 20th, basically, through January 21st, 22nd, where does this team rank in terms of Rick Barnes' best teams? I think it's number one. You could, you could talk about the 2018-19 team. That's a team that lost to uh, Purdue, of course. I think this team is better than that. Well, actually, that's not a team that lost to Purdue, is it? That's the... Yeah, yeah that is. Okay, okay. It yeah. was. Okay. It was. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I, think it's, I think it's deeper, for sure. I think there's more, there's more talent on this team in terms of depth. Yeah. Uh, Time will tell. You know, I, I'd love to see I, where I really want to be a buyer more than uh, than I am right now is how are they going to do in Lexington in a couple weeks? You know, did you see any highlights of this Vonamir Ivasich kid? Yeah, it's they, special. they, they yeah. dusted him off. He, he got to play his first game, and he, he was pretty good at shooting the basketball. Yeah, we'll talk more about that in, later in the show, but my goodness, man, he's, yeah, he's a talent. And they said that when he got cleared that both – he and and Calipari kind of broke down and were crying. It's like, yeah, if I'm Calipari, I'd I'd be crying, man. That's, I don't believe that Calipari was. Crying. I don't know, man. I don't I, he might have done it. For, I, I'm saying he might have done it for effect, but yeah. I'd be. Do, I mean, this kid is a difference maker, and that that's the game. I don't want to look past. Well, Vanderbilt, I do, but South Carolina, I don't want to look past. But that Kentucky game, that's going to tell me, um, you know, how good is this team? I I but I think John, I think it's right up there as the best team Barnes has had here. From our friend Stats by Will, he gave me a snapshot of the 2019 team versus the 2024 team, you know, through January 20th. So, you know, through the game against Alabama at the same point for that team. Tennessee was number five in Kim Palm's rating then. They had the second best offense in the country and the 27th best defense in the country. This version, this year's team, currently number four in the rankings. 19th best offense, second best defense. So a little bit better in terms of uh, how they stack up, or at least a little bit more well-rounded. The uh, the 19 team couldn't play defense at the same level 
Tennessee's offense is is creeping up the like it's shoot, not even creeping it's shooting up the rankings in terms of offensive efficiency. We'll see how that progresses. You talk about the trip against uh, Kentucky, the trip to Lexington. That game might get to the hundreds. Yeah. That that game might get to the hundreds. It, it, the over under that's probably going to be around 168, 170. That could be a shootout. But uh, Tennessee doesn't have a midweek midweek game this week. They uh, get back to play South Carolina on Saturday. Two easy-ish games coming up before that trip to Lexington. Hour one in the books. We'll kick off hour two. We'll get you some traffic here coming into the break. We will catch you up on what else you might have missed from the weekend. We'll talk to Ryan Schumpert, Rocky Top Insider at 820. It's the morning show right here on Fan Run Radio. This segment is brought to you by Knoxville Smiles. Don't put off your dental visits any longer. Dr. Stephen Malone and his staff take pride in listening to and communicating with their patients to help make the best decisions about their dental health. The dentist can be an unpleasant place. It could be somewhere you don't really want to go to or deal with. But trust the people that we trust, Knoxville Smiles, from routine dental cleanings to tooth and wisdom tooth removal, restorative procedures, Invisalign, veneers, implants, they do it all. You can contact Knoxville Smiles at 865-539-1776 or take a virtual tour of their state-of-the-art West Knoxville facility at KnoxvilleSmiles.com. Let's go to the phone lines. Let's do a little Tennessee Rewind here with Ryan Schumpert, Rocky Top Insider. Ryan, top of the morning to you. Appreciate you guys having me on. I feel like Monday is the day we've been pointing to for a week. Hopefully we're all going to get this, finally going to get this snow to melt today. And uh, glad to start this uh, happy Monday with you guys. Dear God, please. Please melt snow. Please. <coughs> we were talking earlier uh, when we were talking Tennessee basketball. Do you take this team through this point of the season or the 2019 team through their point of the season? That's a good question. I would I would probably say what the 2019 team, you would say their resume or what they had done was more impressive. Uh, but I think I, I like this team when you're projecting towards making a run in March. I think I like this team more. You have more balance. This team is much better defensively uh, than that team was. I think that team ended you know around 45, 50 uh, in Ken Palm uh, adjusted defensive efficiency. And obviously this team isn't as good offensively as that team was. But still it's top 20. It's deeper. It, it, that team really only went... Six guys deep. I mean, you had a young Eves Ponds and a young John Fulkerson that played a little bit of minutes, uh, but those guys were probably the level they played at was probably the equivalent of Tennessee's ninth and tenth men this year. Um, and then I think just the fact that you have a more dominant ball handling scorer in Dalton Connect on top of Zakai Ziegler, who I think is playing at a similar level that Jordan Bone was uh, for a lot of that season, where Maybe the resume and maybe the what this, that 2019 team had done to this point was more impressive, but I think when you start projecting towards making a run in March, I think there's more to like about this team. Hey, Ryan. Thanks for joining us, man. Um, I, I'm curious to get your thoughts on um, what we're seeing. We, we talked about this a little bit earlier, the potential – Kind of, we're seeing it maybe a transformation in the lineup happening, and uh, mindful of the fact that Josiah was apparently coming off uh, a little bit of a sickness, but saw a lot more Mayshack than we saw Josiah on Saturday. Do you think that's situational, or 
Do you, you don't think uh, – I mean, it feels like based on everything I hear from, from Coach Barnes, he hasn't, like, lost his faith in Josiah, but – um, I don't know. I just think that that's something to, to be paying attention to, and I'm just curious, uh, you know, what your thoughts are from your standpoint of covering the team. I think in the game Saturday it was just more situational because they were going to throw Meshack at Sears, and obviously Alabama, really good offensive team, really perimeter-based offensive team with their guards, and Meshack is good as probably anybody in the country when it comes to perimeter defenders. So I think that's a big part of it, and I've talked about this, with some other people, too, when you're talking about finding Tennessee's best five. And, and obviously, Meshack's not in the starting lineup, but I think the versatility he gives Tennessee, and then there's the fact that what makes Meshack a special player is that you know what he does best you're going to get from him every single night. He's not going to be inconsistent with the scoring, which you can see from Josiah Jordan-James. You can see from Santiago Vescovi, and I think when you add that, uh, consistency and that versatility for Meshack. I think you could see, even though Meshack's not in the starting lineup, you could see at the end of, in crunch time, at the end of any of these games, you could see him play the two for Vescovy. Vescovy's not having a good night. You could see him playing the four if James isn't having a great night. And then uh, it feels like we're over, you know, kind of we're over the ridge and, and Dalton Connect's not going to, you know, he's going to be in the best five every single night. But two weeks ago, uh, when he wasn't playing at his best, I would have said the same thing where Meshack could be in for a connective at tonight that he doesn't have it going. So, uh, you know, I don't necessarily think you're seeing a transitional switch there to Meshack kind of overtaking Josiah's minutes, um, but certainly Meshack having the capability to play the 4-2, uh, which I think is one of the things that makes Josiah so valuable to this Tennessee team, uh, allows Tennessee to have some flexibility on nights when Josiah is not playing very well. You know what Meshack's going to bring, you know, uh, that defense is going to be there every single night, and you'll see the possibility of him playing at Josiah's minutes kind of towards uh, the final minutes of the game. Like we saw, uh, really probably Georgia, I think, would have been the best example of that, where that game was tight towards the end, and the last eight minutes, Josiah was on the bench, and Jemai was playing before. Yeah, a quick observation that I saw, and maybe it doesn't mean anything, but I, I found it interesting, and it was at the beginning of the game, you know, they do starting lineups, and then... The, the starting five converged at midcourt, you know, doing their little huddle, doing their little, you know, team on three type deal. But there were six there, and Meshack was there too. And, um, and so what I, I think, I don't, I don't read any tea leaves on that. I just think that Meshack really views and covets his role as kind of a sixth man, and he is part of that rotation in a big way. And then we saw it happen in that game. So uh, it just... Just kind of an interesting observation. Probably not a whole lot to take from it, but it was it was weird. I was it, it caught me when I saw that. Now I definitely think he thinks of himself as a six starter, and I yeah. mean he, he is an important part of the team. And you know, kind of like Manu Ginobili. I mean, obviously not the same type of player as Manu Ginobili, but I mean, yeah. he he didn't start for the Spurs, but was a key contributor. And and Meshack has carved out a role of kind of being like I said, Tennessee has six guys that they feel can play at any moment and play at a high level. Switching gears to football, Tennessee able to land two big old girthy, meaty boys from the transfer portal yesterday as uh, Jackson Moy, is that how we're saying his name? Jackson Moy? Jackson Moy is how I've been saying it. Okay, Jackson Moy from Stanford and Zalance Hurd, the five-star left tackle transfer from LSU. Just kind of talk about the importance of Tennessee kind of being able to shore up that left tackle position. Hey, and Ryan, in any of your writing, please don't refer to them as girthy and meaty. Um. They're big, meaty boys. 
Oh, man. He's nice big, a big guy. Thick. No, I mean, I think we talked about it when I was on here a couple weeks ago that Lance Hurd was, you know, almost just a must-get for Tennessee. At least Tennessee had to get somebody at the, the tackle spot, and obviously they kind of passed on the Mississippi State kid. They didn't pursue him super, super hard, let him go to Auburn, which kind of left them with one option, and that was Lance Hurd. And uh, it's just a huge get. And I think you go from – Feeling even if you bring Gerald Mincy back, you feel pretty good about the offensive line, but you don't feel just fantastic. Obviously, Tennessee's offensive line wasn't great this season, and its pass protection left some to be desired. And you really upgraded that spot, and now you can move John Campbell over to the right side, and it'll be kind of waiting to see to see how effective he'll be there. But you know, you think he'll be able to play at the same level, which is a really solid, not an elite, but a solid level. And then you bring a guy with with super super high upside and hurt. And I think one of the things that's maybe most encouraging about it is that he's a guy that was just a true freshman this past year. He's going to have to play at least two more seasons before going to the NFL. And when you talk about some of Tennessee's deficiencies recruiting along the offensive line, it felt like so much of what they've done the past few years and what they were going to have to do maybe this offseason, even going into the next offseason, was just kind of Band-Aid solutions. And Lance Hurd isn't that. He's a guy that can play multiple seasons, and I think that's Really, really encouraging. I think it really raises the ceiling of Tennessee's offensive line. I think you go into it thinking that this will be as good as any group that Josh Heibel's had probably besides 2022, but I don't, I don't necessarily think it's a, a major step back from that group either. So that's a big win, and I think you, when you look at it from a, a broad perspective, Tennessee really gambled by letting Gerald Mincy walk and letting him go into portal and up at an SEC rival in Kentucky. That was a risk. That was a calculated risk. Um, but certainly one that could have come back to backfire on Josh Heupel and his staff. It doesn't. Tennessee really upgrades to that spot, um, and I think certainly landing Hurd, biggest win to the date for Tennessee in the portal. And then Jackson Moy, you know, he's a guy that's going to add a lot of depth to the defensive tackle spot. I think that's probably not as big as a concern as maybe you would have thought at the beginning of the offseason. You bring Amari Thomas back, you bring Omar Norman Lott back, uh, but always good to have another body there, and I think – the two things that I like about that get, he has some versatility. He played some strong side defensive end for Stanford last year uh, when they had some, some injuries in, uh, at that spot. And then also the fact that you talk about all those guys at defense tackle, a lot of them are entering their final year of eligibility. And Moy still has uh, three years to play two seasons, so he'll be a guy that's back in 2025 uh, when Tennessee's kind of in a transition spot at the defense tackle position. Yeah, so Tennessee able to kind of find their left tackle that you anticipate kind of matches up the time of Nico, right? Like, I mean, Nico, two yep. years. Right. Lance Hurd, now you have his left tackle. You're going to protect his blind side. You're going to make sure that he's healthy. And hopefully standing upright and not under fire, running around kind of like he was in the Iowa game. On three has him as a five-star transfer. He was a five-star prospect. Uh, they compare him to DJ Fluker, uh, you know, the Alabama offensive lineman that I believe went number 11th overall in his draft. So high upside, high potential, a position of need. Do you feel now, Ryan, that Tennessee is good to go in the trenches, both on the offensive and defensive side of the ball, or are you still concerned on either one of those? I think they can definitely get by. I think it's one where on the offensive line you probably examine what's out there after the spring period and if there is maybe a swing tackle or – some guy that you think can come in and compete for that left guard spot, you probably go out and get them because, you know, depth is really the issue that you still look at at the offensive line. But when you're talking as far as, 
do you have five guys that can start for you on the offensive line? I, I think definitely so. And I think you do have some competition at left guard. Um, so I don't think it's a necessity. I'd be surprised if you see them do anything else here uh, in kind of this winter period. Um, but I'm sure Tennessee will kind of keep their ears out and be uh, evaluating guys when the portal opens back up in the spring. We are two hours away from George McIntyre, five-star quarterback prospect, making his announcement. All signs point to Tennessee, correct? Yeah, it would be an absolute shocker. If it wasn't Tennessee, it felt like Tennessee was in the driver's seat before Nick Saban retired, and it felt like before that Alabama was really the only team that was going to challenge Tennessee for him. And then you add on the fact that he was in Knoxville this weekend kind of without announcing anything, uh, and was sitting beside Josh Heupel at that Tennessee-Alabama basketball game, it would it would really be the shocker of all shockers if Tennessee doesn't land George McIntyre here in a couple hours. Ryan, did you watch any of the Polynesian Bowl? I did not. I saw the, the Mike Matthews touchdown, and I obviously wrote about that on the site. Yeah. But it wasn't watching any of the game while it was going on. Well, I did because, again, we were snowed and iced in, and I watched a lot of TV that I normally wouldn't watch, but uh, – yeah, the, Matthews obviously, you know, got the MVP and all of that. Uh, so two years in a row with Polynesian Bowl MVPs. Don't know how much that matters. But um, but also um, Jake Merklinger played. And um, and actually, I mean, he, he got drilled once, fumbled the ball. But a couple of his passes, I mean, they, they he looked good. Uh, if we're thinking about the future at quarterback between him and, and of course, McIntyre, um, you know, if we're in the mindset that maybe we get two seasons out of Nico, um, I, I don't know. I think we we've got some good prospects on the way there. All due respect to Merklinger, but I don't. To me, he feels like Taven Jackson. You know, he was kind of the guy in between the guys in, in yeah. terms of of recruiting. Like he's almost an afterthought, I think. You know, for a lot of fans because they do think Nico two years and then, you know, you get the six six. Five star quarterback with football in his DNA. You know, he comes from a long line of of coaches. I mean, I, I think you kind of hope that you transition from one six six five star to the other six six five star. Do you think Merling, Merlinger has a chance? I mean, uh, is he into the staff's plans? Because it seems like the the, the plan is going to be stud quarterback, take a year off. Stud quarterback is kind of the the way they kind of got drawn up, especially the transfer portal era. I'm with you, John. I, it's a hard to see a path to. If things go to way Tennessee hopes where Merklinger is going to be a starting quarterback, but I think what you like about him is just he's a guy that comes in that maybe doesn't have the highest ceiling, but seems to have a really high floor and could, if, again, transfer portal age is a lot easier said than done, but if you can keep him on campus for a couple of years, he'd be a really serviceable backup and a solid guy that can come in and play if you do have some injuries, which obviously is you know, no given to have a competent backup in this era of college football. Again, that's easier said than done to keep him. Merklinger could be here for a year, kind of see the writing on the wall with all that stuff, uh, and enter the transfer portal just like Tavon Jackson did. Um, but certainly I kind of liked it. He is a different prospect, and I think kind of has a, a different niche than both Iamaliava and McIntyre does, and that could bode well for Tennessee from kind of a roster management standpoint. Yeah, it almost makes me wonder if Tennessee is going to be in the market for a a older transfer quarterback. You know, I, I like someone who I've always said just kind of wants to get into coaching, that wants to come here and be a depth piece and a emergency plan that maybe you know then gets a spot as a GA on staff and can get into coaching because it does make you a little worried that Nico is your starter and your backup still 
Gasson Moore and, and now, you know, a freshman quarterback, uh, you know, as your only kind of options? Yeah, 100%. I mean, that would be the ideal situation. It's just, you know, are any of those guys out there? Are any guys out there that are yeah. okay with coming in knowing that they're going to be a backup for, like you said, you want a veteran guy there. You're not looking for a young guy in their final year of football. That's exactly what you said. That's what you're looking for, a guy that wants to get into coaching, wants to learn Josh Heupel's system, and uh, again, kind of get into coaching in Tennessee and with under Heupel, but you just don't know if any of those guys are out there. You know, I would have said the same thing last year. You probably would have wanted someone a little more prone to to be able to compete and come into play than you do this season. Um, but Tennessee hasn't been able to find that yet. But uh, I imagine they'll con- continue to keep looking. And you know, Tyler Buckner, uh, who Alabama got last year, would be a guy I think would kind of be a similar mold. Uh, so maybe someone if someone pops up in the portal after spring practice like Buckner did last year. Yeah, even Ole Miss was able to go get Spencer Sanders from from Oklahoma State. You know, it took a starter at a good program, or at least a respected program, and and brought him in, and he was second or third on the depth chart. So I do hope that, you know, you maybe you can find one of those depth pieces or even somebody stepping up from a lower level. But exciting times for Tennessee football. I thought last week, you know, they might get scared off a little bit by the Saban news in terms of announcements because you don't want this to get lost in the shuffle. Like, this is a momentum time for Tennessee football. You get a five-star tackle. You get a a, a Pac-12 transfer. Well, I guess RIP Pac-12, an ACC transfer, wherever the hell Stanford plays now. And now you can follow that up with a five-star in-state quarterback. Big times for Josh Heupel and for Tennessee. You can read Ryan's coverage and the rest of the team over at RockyTopInsider.com. Bob, you got anything else for Ryan on the way out? Hey, Ryan, this week with basketball off, a um, couple very quick questions out the door. A, do we think the, the team's going to take any time off, uh, you know, even a day with, you know, the way Barnes works them? And B, hopefully that helps you guys take a little time off too. Uh, definitely. You know, I, Tennessee wouldn't have had anything yesterday. I think they would have had the complete day off. And I imagine they'll be a little bit slower or at least a little bit lighter on some practices this week and a little bit heavier film session. Rick Barnes emphasized, you know, this is a big week for the freshmen. Uh, I'm sure all four of those guys will be getting a lot of run. And, you know, you're kind of seeing some development from Freddie DeLeon. He's starting to be, get a more consistent role. And the same could be said for J.P. Estrella. And then, yeah, it'll slow things up for a little bit for us, but kind of comes at a good time for us in the standpoint that classes finally start back. I guess what was supposed to be today, what will really be tomorrow, uh, which means football team officially reporting uh, all the guys that maybe seniors and such that didn't make announcements about whether they're coming back. We'll have definitive, definitive word on it, and we'll kind of start looking forward to what Tennessee's roster will look like. We'll have our first depth chart, preseason depth chart piece of the offseason up this week, and a lot of other stuff is. Tennessee football gets started uh, with winter workouts and the 2024 football season. Uh, I guess not the football season, but the football calendar uh, begins this week for the Vols. Wait, wait, wait. It's it's depth chart season? It is, it is depth chart season. Oh, First baby. of probably four or five. Uh, and if there's anything SEC football fans love, it's a good depth chart here, even in January. <laughs> I'll be honest. I feel a lot better about the depth chart this year knowing we got a good left tackle and a exciting five-star quarterback. I'll be happy to see... Zaylance heard left tackle Nico Iamaliava starting quarterback. RockyTopInsider.com. Ryan Shumpert, appreciate you as always. Talk to you next week. Sounds great. Appreciate you, appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you, Ryan. Sam, send us a break. It's the morning show. Good morning. Looked like they were clearing a.
Hour number three is brought to you by Inward Half. You can support Tennessee athletes by going to thevolunteerclub.com and grabbing the everything polo created by Inward Half. Inward Half has elevated and transformed performance-driven apparel into fashion-forward statement pieces for the entire family. You can experience the comfort of their signature polos, outerwear, and other accessories. All you got to do is check them out online at inwardhalf.com, and you can look for them in your favorite pro shop, inwardhalf.com. So our guest today is one of the all-time favorites in Big Orange Country, and with good reason. I'm going to try to give a brief introduction, which is not easy because this dude has accomplished a lot. Hailing from Alpharetta, Georgia, he uh, knows a little bit about quarterbacking. Uh, He was part of the Vol football program from 2013 to 2016. Started a few games as a freshman and a sophomore. At the end of that sophomore season, was named MVP of the Tax Slayer Bowl in the Vols' win over Iowa. Became full-time QB1 for the Vols in the next season, leading the Vols to two consecutive 9-4 and seasons. A top five ranking at one point of the 2016 regular season and postseason wins over Northwestern and Nebraska in the Outback and Music City Bowl. Was named MVP of the Music City Bowl as well in that game. But he'll be most remembered for his end-of-game Hail Mary to Juwan Jennings in Athens, Georgia, leading the Vols to a signature win over the Dogs in 2016. Truly an iconic moment, not just for Vol fans, but college football fans in general. Also, tremendous student-athlete. Possessing a perfect 4.0 GPA while majoring in aerospace engineering. All that resulted in being named a recipient of the 2017 Torchbearers Award, the university's highest honor for an undergrad. After moving on from Rocky Top, drafted in the fourth round of the 2017 NFL draft by the Pittsburgh Steelers. From there, he's had additional NFL stops in Jacksonville, Cleveland, Tennessee, Detroit, Arizona, most recently Minnesota. He's also had stints as an NFL starter with the Titans, the Cardinals, and the Vikings was even named NFC Offensive Player of the Week in Week 9 of this season after a performance in the Vikings' last-minute win against Atlanta. He's a Tennessee legend, a top-shelf person as well. John and I are excited and appreciative to have him on the morning show. Listeners, join us in welcoming Joshua Dobbs. Hey, Josh. What's up? Good morning. Great introduction. How are you guys doing? We're good, man. Um, So, hey, thank you for joining us. Like I said, it's off-season for you, so... Tell us what you've been up to and how soon you get back into the swing of training or are you already in the midst of that again, all of that stuff? No, we got we got plenty of time to get back in the swing of training. Um, you know, the start of offseason is for, for the rest and the recovery from the season, you know, especially when you play a lot of snaps. Um, you know, your, your body goes through a lot just week in and week out throughout the year. So it's just getting rested, rejuvenated, hanging out with the fam, you know, traveling a little bit, obviously paying attention to the playoff football. Um, that's going on, but you know, just kind of enjoying the downtime, enjoying uh, a life without without the typical routine that you're used to um, for 11 months out of the year. And so, um, yeah, so it's it's been good. Obviously, the season ended, you know, before we wanted to up in Minnesota, um, but you know, the second week of the off season has been good. Just getting rested and rejuvenated. Back from the season, obviously, it was a crazy year. A lot of traveling, um, a lot of picking up and moving locations. So. It's been good to have a chance to, to, to rest since then. And then uh, we'll probably start back getting back into a training regiment after the Super Bowl, and things will slowly ramp up throughout the offseason programming and to next season. But we got a long ways before that happens, so we'll, we'll, enjoy, we'll enjoy the free time of the offseason. 
Now, you may or may not remember this. You and I spoke on the phone a, a while back about your Torchbearer podcast, which we're going to talk a little more about in a few minutes. But just not too long after we spoke, um, you became a white hot topic in the sports news cycle. Uh, you were living through a lot. We were seeing you on feature pieces on NBC Sunday Night Football, Fox, Van Pelt, everywhere, it seemed. You were learning the names of your offensive squad and offensive play calling in Minnesota as you went in real time and starting at arguably the toughest position in the highest level of professional football. In the midst of all that, I mentioned it earlier, you performed at a high enough level to get an NFC Offensive Player of the Week award. They just obviously don't hand those out to anyone. That's a hell of an achievement. So load balancing comes to mind, but how did you handle all of that happening all at once? I mean, that was amazing. And uh, did you have any past experience that may have helped you manage that moment too? Man, I appreciate that. Yeah, it was... um... It was a tremendous year uh, professionally as a football player, man. Like a lot of really good accomplishments, a lot of tough situations and excelling in them. So, um, no, I was definitely proud of it. And it was good to get the recognition um, as well. So it was uh, it was a lot. You know, it was a unique story, a unique path. And I kind of accepted that journey last year as I uh, strove to, to prove myself as a week, week in and week out starter in the National Football League. You know, we're not drafting the first round or the opportunities that just handed to you. Um, you gotta, you gotta go, go about your business a little bit different than the normal path. So, um, yeah, I just, you know, kind of just took a day in, day out, you know, accepted everything that came with the opportunities, um, knew like what success and the attention that that would bring. And, you know, with it all, being able to promote my story has been awesome to be able to share it with, you know, other players, um, whether it's, you know, high schoolers, college players, or even other professional players that have been in similar positions and are working for their opportunity to shine. Just show them that resilience um, that you have to have to be able to achieve those goals, man. It, w- it was good to be able to bring light to that. And obviously, you know, my time at Tennessee is highly documented. Everything I did from the classroom to on the field to in the community. So definitely juggling a lot of t- different aspects of life since college. And I think, you know, just... Being used to that in school, having to excel at a high level in a lot of pressure situations have prepared me for everything that, you know, has been thrown my way at that professional level. Josh, I got to be honest, man. You owe me a couple dollars or a couple drinks next time you're in Knoxville because I was on the wrong side of that Falcons-Vikings game when you came in off the bench. I was on the Vikings man. money line and had to watch you go down the field with a minute left and, and no timeouts. It hurt watching one of my favorite players do that to me. I didn't know you were going to be playing. Man, that sounds like your fault, not my fault, my man. You gotta, you gotta be smarter, man. You gotta bet smarter. Josh Dobbs, as I said, he's from Georgia. What was the better time breaking Georgia's heart—the Hail Mary or the comeback in Atlanta in front of all those Falcons fans? Um, you know, probably, probably the Hail Mary. I got, I just have, you know, natural beef versus Georgia fans. You know, growing up in Atlanta, I did not grow up a Georgia fan, but I grew up a Falcons fan, right? So, um, going to Georgia, having the Hail Mary. Um, definitely was a huge moment. Obviously, being a Falcons fan, then kind of being on the other side of it was really cool to grow up going to games at the Mercedes, excuse me, at the Georgia Dome, the old Georgia Dome, and then obviously watching the Mercedes Benz Stadium being built and then having that performance on that field would definitely be extremely memorable. You know, the one that I love sticking it to the fans, though, is definitely the Hail Mary, without a doubt. Yeah, you know, now that I think about it, the fourth and seven scramble against the Falcons, they almost had you from behind. I was kind of like, get him, get him, get him. But then he ran. I was like, okay, good for Dobbs. 
But I will say the being in Sanford Stadium and watching the Hail Mary, it made up for it. You, for that pain you gave me on that Sunday, it was one of the best nights of my life getting to celebrate that win. 100%. 100%. Come on now. Um, hey, staying on that note, any other memories, I'm thinking from a UT perspective, um, obviously we, you know, we've talked about what happened in Athens and uh, it's one of the greatest memories I remember as a football fan, but any other memories that really stood out to you during your time as a quarterback in, uh, Knoxville? Oh man, there's, there's a ton, you know, I think one of my favorites was my last game in Neyland, you know, against Missouri. And um, having a really good game out there and going out on a high note, um, you know, the, I think like the bowl wins were were very special. Bowl season then is completely different. It was completely different than what bowl season is now. Right. Um, you know, then you know the games were memorable and everyone was playing and you know you're playing for your school and they're representing your conference and just as a great way to send off whether it's the seniors or to have the. Uh, Put the final note on the season, man. And so those those games, those experiences, they're extremely competitive, but they're also a lot of fun to be able to have that one last go around, whether it was guys leaving or myself, my senior year um, in the Music City Bowl in Nashville. So those are some of my favorite memories, like on the field, man. Like obviously, Florida coming and breaking the streak my senior year, man. Like there's there's so many tremendous memories on the field. I love to also is like the memories off the field, man. Like you become so close with those guys that you go to school with, um, that you work hard with, that you come in as an 18 year old kid and you leave as a 22 year old man. Man, like you, you become you become very close knit with all those guys, and you 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 form a lot of lasting bonds and memories both on the field, but obviously off the field. Just in you know going to school every single day, or or memories around campus, or memories around Knoxville, and. Um, it's been great to be able to come back to Knoxville and share those memories with those guys, man. We're all when we're all in town, and uh, we got some big things planned for this offseason to get back together. And so it'll be good to see everyone again. Yeah, talking about those bonds now. You know, some of those teammates. It's not the offseason for them yet. You know, whether it be Jawan in San Francisco or or Reese Maven and Sutton in Detroit, and your your podcast co-host Trey Smith. You know, the Torch Bears. He's still going, of course, with Kansas City, six straight conference championships. My God. Is there a yep. team you're rooting for? Is, is there a team you're rooting for to win the Super Bowl? Man, that is tough. I got a lot of guys spread out across the teams. I will say, I'll say though, I'll say though, once you get to this point, man, you're just hoping for good football, man. You're hoping everyone stays safe, watch good football. If I had to guess who would win, uh, I think whoever wins the AFC is going to win the Super Bowl. So obviously, I want Trey to beat uh, beat the Ravens, even though uh, our guy T has been doing a great job coaching for the Ravens, man. Um, so that'll be a good, good matchup. I think whoever wins that game will take home the Super Bowl. You you face two of these defenses, too, that are still alive with Baltimore and San Francisco. I mean, any uh, any thoughts on which one was tougher for you from your perspective as a starting quarterback? Um, you know, they're both really good, man. Like, we faced San Fran before they added Chase Young, so I know that's a whole nother, um threat that they have over there, but I mean, they were all already rolling. I think, you know, I think from a talent standpoint, I think um, San Fran might have the edge, but from just like an execution consistency or like overwhelming presence, I think Baltimore will have the edge. They play very different styles from a uh, defensive scheme perspective. Like San Fran is a more simplistic scheme and they let their talent of their players kind of excel. And then the Ravens, they have really good players too, 
they also try to overwhelm you with schematics and blitzes and tendencies and stuff like that. So if you're not ready, uh, which I mean at this point, like everyone will be ready uh, for that, but still, they're extremely smart. And if you're not ready, man, they'll, 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 they'll hit you in the back of the head uh, with their blitz packages and get you behind the sticks early. What type of uh, relationship do you have with Nico? Is there any type of mentorship going on there as he reached out to you? Uh, because, of course, you know what it's like to have to, to play the starting quarterback position here at the University of Tennessee. Man, without a doubt. I've been able to cross paths with him um, last year when he came on as official. And then we went, we threw um, together this past, last offseason, excuse me, about a year ago when he first got to campus with himself and Joe and uh, the other QBs. And it was good to be around him. I haven't... Uh, I, there, there hasn't been a, a, a mentor type thing going, man. Like, I know he's been getting acclimated to campus. I've had the craziest season of my life, um, but there'll be time to be able to get down and get around the guys and, and hang out with them at some point this off season. And so, yeah, it'll be good to to cross paths, man. Like, I, I was impressed with what I saw in the bowl game. I think the future's bright. He's gonna be a dynamic player, and it's good to see his growth. You know, just from coming into campus or, or the first game out there. Um, against Virginia at the start of the year and how well he played um, in the bowl game at the end of the year, man. So I think the sky's the limit, man. I'm happy for, for him as, as a person, as a player, man. I'm excited to see where he takes our balls to. Well, I'm going to do the job then. I'm going to be the middleman. Josh, okay. what's one piece of advice you would give Nico, the biggest thing you would tell him about being the starting quarterback at the University of Tennessee? So the biggest thing I'll say is just have fun. Like Being a starting quarterback at UT is everything you dream of, from the opportunity to play the game you love to being out there and the best experience best atmosphere in college football to being in the best college uh, town in college football, man. There's so, there's so many great things that come with uh, being the quarterback and, you know, obviously the pressure on you, the expectations on you, there's, there's a lot from, from fans and your teammates and at the end of the day yourself. Um, and so just embrace it all, man. Have fun with it. Enjoy every aspect of it and go out, trust yourself as you will and just play good football, man. It's very simple. Same game you've been playing forever have fun with it every time you get a chance to go out there and and perform on that stage we're being joined by josh dobbs here on the morning show josh um i touched on it a little bit at the beginning uh you have another project that you're working on uh that looks like a lot of fun Uh, i've watched some of the torchbearer podcast videos because they're also available on youtube um and there's some uh familiar names and faces playing a role in that too which is awesome to see as a as a Vols fan but tell us a little bit about the podcast itself what drew you to working on this project um and uh what what you're expecting to do with it moving forward yeah man like it's gonna be a really good off season me and Trey gonna team up so it's me Trey Smith uh Beach Galloway uh who we went to school with at Tennessee man we're, we're on there we're talking ball talking live, but we're more, more importantly, just giving perspective to what's it like being, you know, an NFL player, uh, off the, on and off the field, you know, what we're into and, and our interests on and off the field, man. And just giving, and just opening a door and peeling back the crane, giving that perspective. You know, we live such unique lives. Um, Trey and myself, man, like Trey's about to go hopefully to another Super Bowl, man. And I just probably had the craziest NFL journey um, <laughs> that anyone's ever had in the game up until this point. So just being able to provide that perspective and show people what it's like um, living the lives that we do, I think it's really cool and that people love and have enjoyed. And so we'll be able to sit down, man, have have more in-person conversations this offseason, get together, you know, talk about 
recapping the season, talk about our experiences off the field, and talk about building for the next seasons and the next part of our careers and our journeys, man. And so I think, like the, as, as you said, man, like Tennessee ball fans, they love it, man. Fans of the game, they love it. And so it's really cool to be able to provide that perspective. So we'll be, once once the season wraps, we're able to get on a routine basis. And we'll be launching episodes once or twice a week, you know, talking ball, talking shop, talking life, providing that perspective, man, and just giving the people uh, a look behind the curtains of what it's like to be a a, a, a VFL, uh, NFL uh, superstars in the league. You'll also learn a little bit about what these guys like in terms of uh... – convenience store or gas station food. yeah we'll have fun with it too yeah we'll have fun with it we yeah. we, have, we have some a lot of bucky fans in the room so if we have any bucky listeners man we'll talk about our favorite bucky experiences without a doubt josh dobbs torch bears go subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast appreciate the time good luck this off season good luck next year thank you no, no appreciate y'all go balls see you buddy go balls all right that was josh dobbs appreciate him for joining us Sam, did you uh, want to hop in and ask about the uh, the end of that Jacksonville-Tennessee game? Because <laughs> there was a part of me that wanted to bring it up, but I almost brought some Titans really. Yeah, I remember. No you know, I, mean, I remembered him talking about it's a new it. era. Yeah, I didn't want to bring up the the fumble slash incompletion. I was just wanting to be like, hey, how many times did you watch the replay? Did, did you think maybe it's like incompletion? Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say I didn't, I didn't think it was a fumble. I didn't want to think of it. But I'd already gotten on to him about, you know, the Falcons money line bet that he cost me. So I didn't want to be like, hey, by the way, you know, I was also in Jacksonville. I had kind of, you know, patched up that wound a little bit too. I didn't want to take the band aid off. Fair enough. You know? Fair enough. How, 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 how no, I was gonna say, how how much do you think Titans Bill would have loved to have been on this call? <laughs> <laughs> Our Nashville Bureau. We probably would have gotten a lot of a lot of questions about, you know, his time with Mike Vrabel. <laughs> I don't I don't think Titans Bill is a questions type of guy. I think he's a tell people. I think he's been wow. telling Josh Dobbs things. And I'll tell you, Josh, here's what here's what happened. I think that's what would happen. That's what that's what happens when you've got the newly named uh, head of the Nashville Bureau for the morning show. <laughs> that's uh, that's a, that's Titans Bill for you. Appreciate Josh Dobbs for joining us. The Torch or not not the Torch Bears podcast. Wherever you get your podcast, appreciate him for his time. Sam sent us to break us the morning show here on Fan Run Radio.